Hello? Is this thing? Is it? Are we on? I think. I think so. Is this? Ha- he- hello. Hockey. Hockey Mountain. Hi- Mountain High. Hockey Mountain High. We talk about the Avalanche, the team, uh, the team uh, that won the cup. Let me try. Let me try again. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast, presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster, as well as Superbook Sports. We're checking in. We're trying to shake off the rust and get back into the swing of things here as. Everybody's off season starting to wind down. I mean, what forty five days till um, opening day, opening night? It's not baseball, Arif. It's opening night, and we got training camp just uh, just around the corner here. So, how you doing? How you been? Has been the last month of your life, and uh, you know, let's get in the swing of things it's here. It's been twenty seven days, and we already forgot how to do this. I think during the playoffs in May and June, we were doing like seventeen episodes in a twenty seven day stretch. So. Let's get the podcast up and running and talk about who's left on this team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we needed the break, right? It was a nice, I mean, it was pretty intensive there for a while heading, uh, I guess, just the Western Conference Final and the Stanley Cup is really when it ramped up. And um, no, it was a nice little refreshing break to take the last couple of weeks off. So I'm happy to be back and happy to get back in the swing of things because you find yourself missing it, right? Towards the end of the season, you're like, oh man, I can't wait for this to be over. And it doesn't take long for you to turn around and be like, all right, let's get this season going again. I need hockey in my life. Because there's only only so much golf and baseball I can watch. And Yeah, I, I realized this summer because, you know, I never used to sit and actually watch TV because I never had my own place. I never had a TV functioning in my room until recently. So like, I have a living room now and like, I got this TV and I literally get home at like 6 p.m. from work and I make dinner and I sit down at the coffee table because I don't have a dining table yet. And I sit there and I stare at a black TV screen. I'm like, what do people watch? What do people watch when there's no sports? Why am I that jock, that loser that's like, hey, put on the football game or the hockey game or the soccer? Like, I don't know what to watch when sports aren't on. So I literally just sit there and stare at a black screen. I've watched the ESPN Plus Quest for the Cup documentary of the of the Stanley Cup mm-hmm. playoffs, the, the, the Avalanche's run, uh, about four times. I've watched Unrivaled, the Avalanche Red Wing documentary, twice now. Which sucked. Which, it had some moments that were, like, new that I didn't know about. It was very Red Wing-centric. That's why, to me, it kind of related a little bit more, mm-hmm. seeing the Vladimir Konstantinov stuff was cool. A um, lot of old aerial shots of Joe Louis Rina. That was cool from, like, 96 and 99. Um, Don't take this the wrong way, but I felt like putting— I know Konstantinov was a big part of their story, but I feel like where they put it and how much time they spent on it, it really kind of— took away from the direction that that the whole thing was It was going. very yeah because the 98 Avalanche Red Wings they didn't play in the playoffs. The Avalanche lost to Edmonton um but they kind of went really heavy on that. It was very strange. I think what happened was they got a hold of Vladimir Konstantinov and said uh, we have this guy, we have to capitalize on it. Um personally my favorite part of the documentary the Konstantinov stuff was heartbreaking cuz I remember when that stuff happened. Yeah, I was I very mean, young but like just seeing stuff for sure. seeing the news stories and how they came out and stuff but the the parts that were cool to me, because like up until Twitter became a thing, we never used to see, you know, the things that we see now where every single social media team posts the photos of the guys walking in, wearing their suits, wearing their little headphones and their backpack. And they walk in, you see them walking in down the lower level to get ready for like the game in their suits. Well, seeing like the old footage of like 1998, Steve Eiserman and Sergey Fedorov and Joe Sackick and Patrick and all these people wearing these like baggy ass, ugly suits. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that looked like something that you pulled out of a sitcom in the 90s, like something you would see on Home Improvement was just hilarious. So, um, 
But yeah, so I've watched that a bunch of times. You still see those suits floating around the uh, ball arena press box, uh, mm. depending on who it is and what night. But there's a couple of those suits still floating well, around. Well, there's quite a few different generations that are <laughs> in that ball, ball arena press box. Uh, people look at me in the tight suits that I wear, and they 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 get disgusted from. I that definitely generation. do. I, I mean, you're of my generation, and you get disgusted. Don't worry, I'm gonna ramp up the suit game here in the next coming weeks, so I'll have a nice fresh slate starting. What is that, October 12th? The night that Jack Johnson scores the opening goal against Alexander Georgiev. I can't wait for that. <laughs> Let's get into some uh, current events, I guess, right? We haven't had the chance to share our thoughts on the Kadri event. I mean, of course, it's with kind of heavy hearts that we have to say goodbye to Kadri, but I mean, we've heard our entire lives. Sports is a business, and it just simply didn't fit in the business model, right? The Avalanche just couldn't afford to keep him around at the length that he wanted. He had every right to go look for the uh, term. And the dollar bills combination, which he found in Calgary. What I love about the Kadri situation is both sides genuinely tried to make it work. The Avalanche were willing to bend and not break, understandably so. Nazem Kadri's camp was willing to bend and not break, also understandably so, because he should go out and get paid. Where I get worried with it is, look, I mean, these kind of contracts, he's, he's going to be 32 opening night. He turns 32 on October 6th, opening night's, you know, 12th, I think the 13th for the Flames hosting the Avalanche. Um... He's going to be pretty old. He's going to be 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, and the entire last year of his deal, he's going to be 38, making $7 million. Now, I always go back and forth on the contract because, number one, in, in a few years from now, the salary cap is going to be upwards of $100 million. Um, so is it going to really affect the salary cap in four, five, six, and seven, those years of the deal? Probably not as much as we look at it now. So... Did the Avalanche make a mistake of not signing him for a $7 million deal for seven years, knowing that in years four, five, six, and seven, seven million then is going to be the equivalent of like five now or maybe four and a half, which even then you can argue, do you want a 38-year-old cadre eating up five million of your cap space? That's number one. Number two, uh, I think the biggest thing for the Avalanche is I think it is the next two to three years. Like, if you sign Kadri now, just to sign him right now, there needs to be a move. It's JT Comfort, Sam Gerard. We spent the last three podcasts literally just talking about the same shit. It was that. It was if Kadri comes back, who goes? But then next year, Nathan McKinnon's deal will kick in, which we'll talk about. Eric Johnson comes off the books, and I think next year would have cash-strapped them even more. And then, and you know, you got Bowen Byram and Devon Taves and Alex Newhook. And then the year after that, even more, where I don't think it's the years five, six, and seven, even though we know the Avalanche didn't want to give Kadri term. I don't think it's the later years that would hurt as much as the now years, how much movement you would have to make. But again, I go back and forth on this because alternatively, you look at it and you say, hey, if the next two, three years, Kadri can be the guy he was in 2022, well, then he's worth all the movement. So... Who the hell knows? Is he going to be TJ Oshie and Mark Edward Vlasic and all these contracts that teams regret that they've signed? Or is he going to be someone like Joe Pavelski, who's still a beast up into his late 30s and signing extensions? Who the hell knows? But who, who the hell knows is exactly right, right? That's what's every, in, on the back of everybody's mind is that there's an expiration date when it comes to Kadri's production. You don't want to, years down the road, be overpaying for a guy who's not producing anymore. But I kind of think... I don't know. Let me know what your opinion of this is, but I feel like he's a really durable guy. I feel like he, he will be full, still playing at 39, maybe even trying to push it into 40 and 41. He's going to be one of those guys, right? He's not going to walk away early. He's not, and looking at his career, I mean, looking at his, his games played, he tends to play a lot of the season. There are very few seasons where he played less than half, right, due to injury. So I just see him being one of those guys that – 
okay, maybe he's not going to be worth seven mil in, in, at age 39, but I don't see him being a guy that's going to be completely useless, useless and have fallen off the map. And that's the thing. But the Avalanche, I think they looked at it. They looked at the seven million, and there's the three names that I just mentioned. It's Bowen Byram, it's Devon Taves, it's Alex Newhook. I don't know if all these three, all three of these guys are going to make it. So, I mean, look at the Tampa Bay Lightning. You look at the Tampa Bay Lightning and, you know, they signed their initial core, the Stamkos, the Kucherov, the Vasilevsky, the Headman. And then they had that second wave that they re-signed this summer, which was Chernak, Point, and there was one more, and it's obviously not coming to me. No, not, no, the, the other forward. Uh, Chernak, Point, and there was one more, Sorelli. So they re-signed all those guys to, to, to eight-year deals this past uh, mm-hmm. July 13th. That's their second wave core. So that second wave young core, that's what you have with the Avalanche with Byram. That's what you have with Newhook. And we can put Devon Taves into that, even though he's a little older, because he's up for a contract as well. So I think Chris McFarlane and Joe Sackick and the staff kind of looked at that next core and said, we love Kadri, but do we want to lose one of these three guys for Nas in the next couple of years? Probably not. But I'm with you. I kind of feel like I feel like it's going to be one of those things where in like four or five years where this, you know, mid to late 30s Nazem Kadri is doing, again, I'll use the same example, Joe Pavelski, when he left San Jose and went to Dallas and everybody's like, well, San Jose is not going to give him a lot of money. Granted, they give everybody else a lot of money. That was old. He went to Dallas, signed a three-year, $21 million contract and got an extension just now because he's been a point per game the last two years and was a beast in the bubble playoff. So two and a half of the three years Pavelski's played with the Stars on that three-year, $21 million deal, he's been a beast. Mm Mm-hmm. And I feel like in four or five years, we're going to look at Kadri. He's going to be like 36. Maybe the Flames have won another cup. Maybe they're the team that's going toe-to-toe with the Avalanche every year in the Western Conference Final. And Kadri's going to be putting up like 27 goals and 21 assists and is a two-way player and is going into the playoffs and is really playing his role well. We're going to be like, man, you know, he's been worth $7 million all these years. So... It's hard to really gauge it. The way that I think about it with Kadri, everybody says this was an outlier year. I say, no, 2021 was the outlier year because that was the year where he was just not useful pretty much most of the year. He had a 21-game goalless drought, and then he got suspended in the playoffs, which has happened before, but like he wasn't producing that year. Yeah, he produced a lot in 2022, but in 2019, 18, 17, 16, he was always producing. So He's, you know, is he going to put up 87 points? Maybe not. But if he puts up 72 with the Flames next year, 68, are we going to sit there and be like, ah, oh, he took a dip? No, we're going to say he's a productive player. You can kind of say the same thing. Your, your Joe Pavelski, um, I guess, metaphor there. You could say, say the same thing about Paul Stastny, right? I mean, when he left in 2014, if I would have told you there would be a contingent of Avalanche fans disappointed in the year 2022 that Paul Stastny didn't come back to Colorado. Me included. Right, exactly. Would you have been surprised? I I definitely think so. I mean, he scored 21 goals this year. That was the most he'd scored since his last year in Colorado at 25. Oh, wow, yeah. See, I didn't even realize it was was that good a production. But, yeah, he signed a four-year deal with the Blues for $28 And we kind of thought this is his last hurrah of a big money deal. But he made big money with Vegas. He went back to Winnipeg after getting traded there at the deadline from the Blues. And now he signed the Carolina Hurricanes, obviously on a very sweetheart deal. But that's because... There's no money left in the system. Everybody remaining as a UFA, which there's still some pretty good names out there. We saw Phil Kessel go to Vegas. Uh, pretty good names out there are, are going to be signing for low money. But I don't know, man. I, I I keep going back on the Nazem Kadri thing because on one hand, the, this avalanche organization and this staff that they have right now running the team are, are way too smart to give a 30, soon to be 32-year-old, a seven-year deal. But it's also like, 
man, you can you can look at the numbers and the analytics and the trends all you want. Some players are built different, and this guy might be one of those players, and you may have just let somebody slip away that gave you a month and literally just sat there for a month going, are you sure? Are you sure? Meet me halfway. Give me a sixth year. Give me a seventh year. Give me something where I can say it's worth leaving a couple dollars on the table, and the Avalanche just couldn't get there. Just a bit ago, you brought up Bowen Byram, Devon Taves, Alex Newhook, right? The, the, looking down the line, those are guys you kind of have to keep some room for. But then you look at the signings from this offseason, and there were three names that we, even on this podcast, were discussing that we were unsure. That's Josh Manson, Andrew Cogliano, Darren Helm, unsure of their return. Add all those three contracts up together. Don't you think, had they not signed those three, there's definite room for Nazem Kadri? It almost feels like they went ahead and made those signings, locked those guys up first, and kind of prioritized those three over a guy like Nas. Sure, three players is going to be more than one, but those were three, I guess, kind of up-in-the-air surprises for us. So so here's – I get what you're saying. So here, that's one way to look at it. The way that I look at it is, look, Josh Manson's going to make four and a half. And, and I then, feel like it was the Manson contract. Once Manson signed for four, you. there was no more room. That That's the one to me because – Hellman, Hellman, uh, what's his name? Cogliano, each making one and a quarter, so two and a half. The reality is, look, if you don't sign Hellman Cogliano, it's not like you just take that 2.5 and give it to Kadri. You have to save a minimum of 1.5 to sign two league minimum players to play in those spots. Sure, sure. Josh Manson, he's making four and a half. You could have easily said, we're not going to sign Josh Manson at four and a half. We're going to give Jack Johnson 800K and we're going to save 3.8. But with Hellman Cogliano, you're not really saving a lot of money. You're getting them at one and a quarter rather than some random dude making 750K. So it is the Manson one. I mean, look, the reality is the Avalanche. With Burakovsky, we always knew he was going to walk. Mm-hmm. With Nichushkin, we always said he's going to sign. It's just a matter of how much do the Avalanche have to lock him up for. But when you looked at Kemper, it was kind of like if he's willing to take a generous contract, which would be, I don't know, three seven five, maybe 4, the Avalanche would have kept him. But they, you know, they just chose to go with Georgiev at 3.4. But it was always you had Manson. You had uh, Kadri and you had Nichushkin. And in my brain, it was always going to be two of those come back. And, well, Manson, Kadri, Nichushkin, and Kemper. In my brain, it was always going to be two of those come back. I thought it was going to be Nichushkin and Kemper. Once Kemper, we started to realize he wasn't going to be, I started to think maybe Manson. And then Manson signed on the first day of free agency. And then it became... Well, for sure, Kadri's going to leave, and then it kind of turned into like, holy shit, maybe they're going to make Kadri work and get rid of somebody else. So it always felt like that was going to be the case. I do think locking up Manson was smart. I have no issues there. I I do think the Avalanche now have some room to play with here because, look, the Eric Johnson contract is what it is. You wish way back in 2015 that the Avalanche gave him a six-year deal instead of seven because that would have helped a ton. For Eric Johnson to re-sign right now at $1 million, to run it back, and then you got money to sign Kadri or whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. But with Sam Gerrard, with a Bowen Byram on the rise— uh, I talked to reporters in, in I don't want to say them by name, but some bigger name reporters when we were in Tampa Bay because they didn't want me to share this publicly that said they feel that Bowen Byram wants to be the number one guy on a team. 
and the Avalanche organization knows this. So is Bo going to be willing to do what Chernak did in Tampa Bay or Sergachev? That's the other one I'm forgetting that resigned. Mm-hmm. Is he willing to do what those guys did and sign a long-term deal to be second fiddle to you know Victor Hedman slash Kale McCarr? These reporters don't think so. They think the Avalanche know that Bo and Byram eventually is going to want to move on. Whether that's now or whether that's after a bridge contract, who knows? But with the idea that you have Bo and Byram and Sam Gerrard and Josh Manson and Kale McCarr and Devon Taves, you have five top four defensemen, three or four of which are top pair defensemen. You now have the assets necessary to go out and make a big move to replace Kadri. So it sucks that you lost Nas, but you still have a lot of room. So I think Josh, signing Josh Manson was smart because in the NHL, the most important or the best position that you can have a lot of, and it's a luxury, is defensemen. The Nashville Predators, uh, you know, they traded Seth Jones for uh, what's his face uh, for Ryan Johansson when they when they actually needed Johansson when they actually needed a top centerman and he was a good young prospect. Having a riches of defensemen and having Seth Jones gave them that. The Avalanche uh, or the Nashville Predators also had a riches of defensemen again when they had Sam Gerrard and they were able to trade him to get Matt Duchesne or whatever, the, the deal that, that landed Matt Duchesne in Ottawa and Kyle Turris in Nashville. So having a luxury of defensemen is a very, very big thing. The Avalanche had Tyson Berry, turn him into Nazem Kadri. They can do the same thing with the Sam Gerrard. So I think that's kind of the thought process the Avalanche had was let's lock up the more luxurious piece in Josh Manson, knowing that that means we can make somebody else expendable. And if we get Kadri, great. If not, we have five top four defensemen that a lot of teams would be willing to pay a lot for. Yeah, I mean, the defensive group is what got them to where they were in the, by winning the Stanley Cup, right? Um, but you got to look at the type of player, I think, as well with Josh Manson. Like you, you, you don't just look at uh, defensemen as a whole. You look at the type of defenseman Josh Manson is, and you don't have many of those guys. You have the, the fast, athletic, puck-moving guys. You don't have the physical defense first, you know, getting an occasional goal and get super pumped about it defenseman. You do – Eric Johnson, he's aging himself out. And then you had Jack Johnson, of course, no longer with the team. So you had to keep somebody of that, that style defensively. Josh Manson was great, man. And let's, let's put aside the fact that every single media member here just fawns over the fact that he actually answers questions with real words. Mm-hmm. Like, let's put that aside. Josh Manson was freaking good. Mm-hmm. He was good. Like, there were, there were one or two games where we were like, ah, Josh Manson was a liability during the playoffs. I'm saying, during the regular season, he was kind of hot and cold, getting a, a, adjusted to the team. But, you know, so was Cogliano. Darren Helm took him the entire regular season to do it. But in the playoffs, man, that guy was so good. He was such an important cog to this team. And he played with Bowen Byram on the second pair. And you look at the Avalanche now. Like, they're getting their top four back. They got McCarr and Taves. They got Byram and Manson. And then you're like, wait. They still have, we know Eric Johnson's the third pair guy at this point. And then you're like, wait, they still have Sam Gerrard. Let's go back to the rumor right before free agency hit. What was the rumor surrounding Josh Manson about going back to Anaheim? Going back to Anaheim being the post Ryan Getzloff captain for the Anaheim Ducks. Boom. That right there tells you the presence he has in a locker room. He's not just another guy. He carries leadership with him. And you can tell he's got a swagger about him that other guys look at him and say, I want to emulate that guy. He knows what he's doing. Josh Manson is the closest thing in a more modernized version of Adam Foote that the Avalanche have had since Adam Foote. And I'm not talking Adam Foote in his second 
stint in 2008. I'm talking like the real original mm-hmm. Adam. Fult, I love that comparison. Where you had Ray Bork and you had Rob Blake and those are your Macars and those are your Taves and those are the guys putting up the points and 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 playing the big minutes and Foot was playing big minutes too, just like Manson is. But he was that guy that the Blakes and the Borks looked at and respected and leaned on and played the same kind of game. You know, you don't want your Adam Foot fighting all the time. You'd rather use him in a penalty kill role. You'd rather use him to be a minute muncher. But if you need him in a pinch, he'll throw, exactly. he'll throw a punch. Yep. And Josh Manson's the same exact way. 100%. And plus, we know Joe Sackick and obviously Chris McFarland love to stack captains up and down this oh, yeah. lineup, right? Oh, yeah. Um, so I guess with that, who are your front running names to, to replace Kadri? Is he already on the team or is he out there somewhere floating in the NHL? There is uh, there's three ways the Avalanche can go about this. The big name replacement, the depth piece replacement, in-house. JT Comfer is not replacing Nazem Kadri. The Avalanche would be silly to even start the season with JT Comfer centering the second line. They know what he's good at. He knows what he's good at. They're going to play him in that role. He was damn good at it last year after a poor season in 2021. In-house, Alex Newhook. You throw him to the fire. We saw a few years ago the Avalanche had Tyson Jost. They had Alexander Kerfoot. And who's the third guy? Uh, JT Confer. JT Confer. Thank you. Yeah. So they had those three guys, and they wanted to see what they had in those young centermen that could, you know, kind of play wing. At times they played them together. We call it the college line. At times they played Tyson Jost as a second line center. Then they brought in Nazem Kadri. They brought in Donskoy Burakovsky. And if you remember, the year that they added all those guys in Nichushkin, second line behind the big three was left wing Tyson Jost, center Nazem Kadri. Right wing Andre Burakovsky. Donskoy eventually jumped Jost, but to start that 2019, 2018, or whatever, 1920 season, Tyson Jost was your second line left winger because they wanted to keep giving him chances. Alex Newhook, I think, is going to get a chance. I think he's going to center that second line. Look at the way the Avalanche had their lines last year. It was McKinnon. Yeah, they did the thing where he was shifting Kadri and McKinnon Homer away, which was really weird. But the line of McKinnon with the two L's, Landeskog and Lekkinen. And then the line of Kadri playing with Ranton and Nichushkin was so damn good. You take a young Alex Newhook, kind of reminds me of when Tyler Sagan won the Cup of the Boston Bruins. 11 goals, 11 assists. That's what Tyler Sagan had the year he won the Cup with the Boston Bruins. Within a year or two after that, he was the top-line centerman he is, which is kind of the projection Alex Newhook has, by the way. Like, we, Let's not forget, Newhook is a guy that people are looking at to be a 70, 80, 90-point player in the NHL. I think he can do it for sure. I think he might do it next year. Mm-hmm. And that's crazy to say. But you take New Hook, you put him at center with this shiny new version of Nachushkin that we've discovered over the last 12 months, especially in the playoffs. Assuming his foot heals. Well, I, it's been a while. I mean, as long as he's been getting carted the around. The thing was broken. It was so broke. <laughs> it was so damn broken. But he's been getting carted, carted around everywhere. Uh, having him on the left wing and Miko Rantanen on the right wing uh, was like, he could do pretty damn good in that kind of a role. My only worry is that it's, Quite the jump. Let's not forget the first two rounds, Alex Newhook was yeah. scratched for the, the entirety of them. He came in and he, he did some good things. He did some things where you're like, all right, I'd like to see you a little bit more present and visible. But um, no, I'm, I'm with it. I'm with giving him the chance. I mean, you have a, a whole season to kind of work out the kinks and get things working in the right. I mean, look at last year. Wasn't that the exact same thing that happened last year? They spent the whole year working on this, changing this, hoping to get healthy. Everything was uh, perfect come playoff time. But, um, yeah, you, you can do that again. And you don't forget, I mean, this is – yeah, it's a long shot. But you know Joe Sackett likes to go after big names. 
and we're hearing Patrick Kane's name floated around. I've been bringing this up for what a good eight months now. There, there's another name that also that I that comes to mind for me, and we'll we'll talk about both of those names in a second. But for Alex Newhook, look, the 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 big thing. It is a big jump, but the big thing to remember is season to season. Eric Johnson said this in a post game press conference last year that like we often forget you look at this avalanche team now and you look at what they had last year and you're like how are they possibly gonna get better well actually no 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 don't even do that let's take it back a, a summer they lost brandon sod they lost donskoy we sat there forever going please sign thomas tatar to be the second line left winger and we said how could they possibly be better than last year they obviously lost belmar calvert retired etc yeah i remember i was the one that was thinking the sky was falling and you <clears throat> said they don't have to be better turns out they ended up being better yeah but eric johnson said it in a post game at once he said we get new guys and they do good but sometimes year over year, your players get better. And he mentioned two names, Devon Taves and Valeri Nichushkin. Your guys get better. JT Comfer obviously got better. Well, it's not that JT Comfer got better. It's that he had a poor season and re rebounded. Nazem Kadri had a poor season, rebounded, and then some. So your guys do get better. Alex Newhook is a guy that could get better. Bowen Byram, last year in the regular season, he was not used. There was no Bowen Byram. There was no Josh Manson. It was Sam Gerrard, Devontae's, Kale McCarr was your top three. And then you had this bottom three. There was a clear divide between top three and bottom three of EJ, JJ, Ryan Murray. Throw in Curtis McDermott. Throw in whoever the hell else was playing. And then suddenly you added Manson and Gerrard, obviously. Or Manson and uh, Byram. Obviously, Gerrard ended up getting hurt. But think of Bowen Byram. Let's compare regular seasons. Last year, regular season, Bowen Byram was great to start the year. Then he had his concussion issues. Then he came back. was just okay. Think of the jump he's going to make this year. Think of the jump of having Josh Manson and what he's going to do from what he played in the regular season last year to when he plays this year. And then think of Alex Newhook. What the Avalanche have in Alex Newhook, again, I'll go back to the Tyler Sagan thing. Tyler Sagan's rookie year in the NHL. I don't know why I had it like memorized before I even pulled up his stats. 11 goals, 11 assists, 22 points in 74 games of the Boston Bruins won the Stanley Cup. The very next year, the Boston Bruins said, you're going to play a bigger role. 29 goals, 38 assists, 67 points. Third year, lockout season, 32, ga 32 points in 48 games. They shipped him off to Dallas for some stupid reason. Got to Dallas, 84 points in 80 games. Can Alex Newhook put up 67 points next year? Yeah. Yeah, and, and to my point about you know the fact that he didn't play those first two rounds, what was the what happened that caused him to jump into the lineup and then suddenly start producing a little, that was Nazem Kadri's injury. So there you saw him literally being the replacement for yeah, Nazem Kadri. He was, yeah, he was playing on the lower lines for, for some time. That's mm -hmm. true. Yeah, that's 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 a good point. And, and that's all it kind of takes is it, it just giving a player a little bit of an opportunity, Bowen Byram. Bowen Byram was a top four defenseman in the playoffs. Dude, he was so good. He was so fucking good, that kid. He was a top four defenseman because... He was healthy. He was ready to play. The Avalanche started to use him. Sam Gerrard got hurt. They started to use, use, use the hell out of him. And we're like, even if Gerrard was healthy, this guy should be playing more minutes than him. And that's no disrespect to Sam Gerrard. That just goes to show how stacked this Avalanche blue line is. So the first way they can go about it is that. The second way they can go about it is go sign a depth guy. Paul Stastny's gone. Evan Rodriguez is the one that sticks out to me. When Malkin and Crosby were injured, he was the top-line center for the Pittsburgh Penguins. But even if you sign Evan Rodriguez in my brain, you're like, eh, maybe let's play Newhook at second-line center and Rodriguez is a depth piece or sign Sonny Milano or whatever. The third piece, the third way you can go about it 
is the big name. Before we talk about Patrick Kane, there's another guy who's a pending UFA. There's another guy who's been attached to the Avalanche in the past. And another guy that if the Avalanche want to get him for one year and run it back, they can do it before the money gets crazy. And that's JT Miller. JT Miller had 99 points with the Vancouver Canucks last year. He was connected to the Avalanche on multiple occasions. If you remember, by the way, in the beginning of the season when there were talks of JT Miller getting traded, it was the same time that Jack Eichel was trying to get traded out of Buffalo. Mm -hmm. Jack Eichel said the Avalanche were in the conversation and he thought he was going to Denver. Guess who would have been part of the trade? Probably Nazem Kadri. Because that's something we don't really talk about. The first month of last season, I'm going to throw Peter Ball under the bus only because he's part of this podcast and he will be for next season too, sporadically. Peter Baugh said to me sometime in October, within the first 10 games of the regular season, I think Nazem Kadri's washed. His time here is done. We saw the way he played in 2021. He had 30-something points. He didn't score for 22. I'm talking aside from the suspension. He wasn't much of a factor offensively. And then he started off the season poorly. And then it was Nathan McKinnon's injury, the injury that was like in early November, that stretched until December 1st. That Nathan McKinnon injury was when we saw Nazem Kadri start to gain his footing. Mm -hmm. And then when McKinnon came back, we said, hey, Kadri's going to take a step back, and he just didn't. Yep. So when there were trade rumors of the Avalanche going after Eichel, Kadri would have likely been involved. JT Miller, Kadri would have likely been involved. Kadri's now walked. J Jack Eichel's got a new team. JT Miller doesn't. So that's the one that kind of sticks out to me. Do the Avalanche want to put the all the eggs in there in, in the JT Miller basket? It sucks that he's not a UFA. You got to trade assets to get him. Probably a first. Probably a guy like Sam Gerrard. You got to make some big, big deals to get JT Miller to the Avalanche. Maybe some conditions on him resigning, which I doubt he does because he'll make nine or ten on the market. And you plug him into that second line center hole. While McKinnon is still making 6.3, you run it back with JT taking Nazem's spot. That's kind of the big one that sticks out to me. Yeah, and that, I would say, again, that's if all else fails, right? If, exactly. If everything that they want to experiment and try to save some dollars here and there with guys they already have, um, then, yeah, then you got to look out elsewhere and see who's being shopped around. I guess— um, The Patrick Kane one is interesting. It is way. interesting because you, you can see Joe Sackick and Chris McFarlane— coming up with a plan to go after you can see that that's yes. that's the only thing you can really rest your hat on is those guys love to go big game hunting and what bigger name than Patrick Kane right well now. the the other thing is and I, I'm just gonna throw this shit at the wall to see if it sticks in 12 months the weird prediction that I have is the summer of 2023 the Avalanche are gonna sign both Devon Taves the other guy Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane 20 years after they signed Korea Solani. I think, because they're both on expiring deals, I think throughout this regular season right now in Chicago, as the ship continues to sink, they're both going to get traded elsewhere. They're both going to go elsewhere. And if it's not to the Avalanche, you know, maybe Patrick Kane goes to Toronto or the New York Rangers, we'll say, to play with Panarin. Devon, uh, Jesus, Jonathan Taves, you can see him going to like Pittsburgh or something and being like a third-line center Jordan Stahl-esque kind of guy. But I think in the summer, similar to the way the Avalanche signed Solani in Korea, I could see him being like, eh, let's sign these two guys, put them together, and give them one final run. That's the weird prediction I have for next offseason. But maybe the Avalanche do trade for him now. It's it's It would be a match made in heaven. It's the kind of guy that you can see playing with a McKinnon or a new hook. Right. And from his point of view, why wouldn't he want to come? It would be so much fun. Yeah. Um, so I guess putting a bow on Nazem Kadri. Again, he was awesome to have here in town. We're going to miss him for sure. Um, give me your Love favorite Nazem Kadri moment. There's a few. Um, oof. All right, then give me one on ice and one off ice. Um, on ice, 
can we both agree that the Tampa Bay goal was the biggest goal the Avalanche had last year? And that's, that's sure. a big one. That doesn't make it yeah. my favorite moment, though. But yeah, yeah I agree. So let's put that one aside. There's a few. I, I was going to write an article, and I started to jot down some things of my top 10 Nazem Kadri moments. And but I'll then probably... you couldn't stop crying. Yeah. Oh, man, what a, <laughs> what a time. Um, I would say, and, and keeping it to this year, one of my favorites is obviously the hat trick coming out of that St. Louis game. I would say yes, the way that he the way that he celebrated, JJ just did the hand to the ear thing. The hand to the ear thing, seeing dumbass fucking Tim Peel lose his mind on Twitter calling Kadri selfish because he's always about himself and he proved it again in that moment or whatever the hell bullshit he was saying, but let's leave him aside. The hat trick and the way he celebrated was one of my favorite moments. Uh, the way that he spent the entire regular season from the early part of the season when he was swinging the stick at him to late in the playoffs when he was throwing bottles at him, just getting under Jordan Bennington's skin and having the last laugh by eliminating him two years in a row was kind of just that entire thing right there is probably my favorite Kadri moment. Yeah, I mean, he's a warrior, right? He's a guy you love to have on a team. And, you know, the fact that St. Louis came after everything that happened in last year's playoffs. St. Louis comes and tries to fight him in every single game they play against in the, him the following season. year, and he answers the bell willingly, even though he didn't have to. He shouldn't have to. Twice. He fought yeah. Falk and another guy. Exactly. Um, that said a lot about him, but I think my all-time favorite moment that will always stick out is the goal he scored in the bubble when that the cameraman got the perfect picture. With of, his eyes lit up. <laughs> yeah, right. That was also St. Louis. Yeah, right? that was yeah. St. Louis as well. Oh, man, St. Louis has not had a good time with <laughs> Nazem Kadri the last three years. Jesus. They won the cup. The Avalanche acquired Kadri and just ruined that franchise. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's up there. Another one of my favorite moments is when Jonas Donskoy got lit up by Charlie Lindgren, or Ryan Lindgren of the New York Rangers, who's now proven to be a great defenseman. And Kadri jumped in and beat the living daylights out of him. That's another one that sticks out to me. Um, man, there's a lot. He, Yeah, he's just... I would say those ones are up there. Off the ice, uh, there's something about when Kadri speaks that just feels like he's telling the truth. And what I mean by that is you'll listen to an interview and a player will go up to the microphone and be like, uh, you know, Evgeny Malkin. Yeah, you know, I'm good. Sidney Crosby's good. Chris Letang is good. We've had this core. We've had this team. We're going to run it back. We're going to do it again. And you're like, eh, I don't really believe you. You guys are good, but there's nothing there. But when you're listening to Nazem Kadri at his Stanley Cup celebration on August 27th, the day before we're recording this, and he looks at the crowd and goes, I'm going to go to Calgary and I'm going to run this back to bring it back. You're kind of like, I heard that and I was like, geez, the Calgary Flames are going to be an issue because Kadri is going to make it an issue. You just believe him when he says things. When he came out the day of the Stanley Cup parade here in Denver on July 1st, I think it was, and he looked into the crowd and he went, look at this. I love you guys. And it's kind of like... He really means that. Like when he speaks, it's the truth. And I think that's my favorite thing about him off the ice is any time he talked, it was – it mattered. Like it really genuinely mattered to hear him talk because what he said was genuinely from his heart, was genuinely something that you believed could be true. It wasn't a robotic, we're going to go out there and we're going to win a game. Yeah, I mean he never waited for the question to be asked to give the answer he wanted to get off his chest, right? Bingo. He would just come out and say things that he wanted to say. And I, there's a lot of respect for that, just like we were talking uh, with Josh Manson. So, um, yep, I'll always remember Nazem Kadri. He'll always be uh, a big piece of what they did this year. And, um, yeah, respects to him. Never wavered. He used that phrase so many times because you know it mattered to him. Read his Players' Tribune article. Read the story that Peter Ball wrote about him right before the playoffs. 
I had people in my corner that never wavered. He genuinely is the kind of guy where if somebody that talked shit about him, let's say a reporter, a fan, a media member, somebody talked shit about him and then came to congratulate him on the ice, you know Kadri in his head is like, fuck you. You did not believe in me six months ago. Mm-hmm. And now you do? No. I know who you are. I, I, I keep my receipts. Kadri keeps his receipts. That's the kind of guy he is. And then obviously who could forget kiss my ass yeah the 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 on the ice moment with david amber of sportsnet of to anybody that thought that i was going to be a liability or i am a liability you can kiss my ass and then the ugliest smile and laugh in the world but yeah just so many great moments there for nazim kadri um similar to you know i like to cheer obviously i grew up a big avalanche fan but now i like to cheer for players the same way that I followed the first three, four, five years, probably until 2019 when he won the cup, I always followed Ryan O'Reilly's career when he left the Avalanche. It's going to be the same thing with Nazem Kadri. I didn't do it with Matt Duchesne. I didn't do it with Brandon Saad. I didn't do it with Tyson Berry. I didn't do it with a lot of guys. Semyon Varlamov. I didn't really watch these guys the way that I did Ryan O'Reilly when he left, and it's going to be the same thing with Nazem Kadri. Yeah, 100%. And I try not to tell stories from this night, as I promise to keep them close to the vest, but this is too good of a story, and it's an off-season episode. Nobody's listening anyway. I got to hold the cup the night they won it, and when I did, and when I raised it over my head, Nazem Kadri was standing right in front of me. We're looking at each other in the eyes, and I just yell, you motherfuckers did it, and he looks at me with the (laughs) most reassuring head nod I've ever seen and a big smile, and of course, that's my off-ice memory that I'll always... cherish yeah. i mean that's that's beyond just like a a memory that was an experience that's, that's an experience and that kind of you know we'll talk about it later but when players have these kinds of when when media members have these kind of moments with players like you're you're not on the team you're not part of the team but you're part of this journey you were there the entire time you're like a narrator of a documentary you are narrating this entire season of what's happening up until that pinnacle you've gained the respect of these people And it's cool to have those kinds of moments. I mean, it's always going to be cool to know that the 2022 Stanley Cup Championship Colorado Avalanche, we're always going to be connected to them. Mm -hmm. We can see these people in 20 years, and they're going to know who we are because we were there every single night, especially those last two rounds. Every single night, every single game. They played 20 games. They fucking went 16 and 4. Unbelievable. Like, it still mind boggles me. They played 20 games, and we were there for 16 of them. That's always going to be a memory that holds and, and, and a connection that holds. And that's a great moment of it. It's, it's man, Kadri is such a beast. I love that guy. <laughs> uh, well, I guess as much as it sucks to say, that's probably the last time we're going to talk about Kadri in this positive of a light. So yeah. there it was. I will say, and I think I've mentioned it before. I've tweeted it. You guys all know it already. The Avalanche opened the season October 12 against the Chicago Blackhawks, just like they did a year ago. I made the joke earlier. Jack Johnson went to Chicago. I'm going to die laughing when he scores opening night again because that's the only goal he had last year, and it was that beauty on the breakaway. But then less than 24 hours later, they are in Calgary. It's the Calgary Flames' season opener, Nazem Kadri's first game of his new team, and they're hosting the Colorado Avalanche. I'll be there for that game. It's going to be at the Saddle Dome. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll probably be talking about him a lot then. I'll, uh, well, obviously, myself, Peter, all the media members here in Denver. Will not be, so fondly. Yeah, not as fondly, but we'll all be going there to see Kadri to say hello to him that night. It'll be fun. And then, or that morning, it'll be fun. And then that night, he's probably going to do something crazy. And we're all going to be like, damn it, I hate this guy now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so that brings us to a quick little pause here. Talk about our buddies over at Superbook Sports. Guys, summer is still here, and there's no better time to make your first bet with Superbook Sports. Along with its usual vast betting menu, Superbook already has the football lineup, of course, because it's the last week of, of the preseason. So you got to go to Superbook.com and make your first bet when you sign up or at Superbook, their app. They'll match your first deposit 100% of it. Up to $500, of course. It's never too early to start betting on football. Hockey's right around the corner. you got to load up your uh, betting account for some hockey bets because it's always fun. So, of course, place your bet and start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. While we're at it. You seemed a little uh, rusty there. Oh, I'm rusty. I'm definitely rusty. It's been a, a, a crazy month for me in my life. But, uh, you know, in my rustiness, I didn't put time for two spots so we're gonna have to put the other spot right here and that is of course total beverage but everybody knows total beverage in westminster and thornton right sure total beverage has an incredible selection of beer wine and spirits but did you know they deliver did you know they have curbside pickup available and did you know they do online wine education classes if not it's time to get to know total beverage again stop by on 104th in thornton or in sheridan on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself, or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at totalbev.com. Total beverage, everything you need, and more. Arif, the conversation now, focusing on the avalanche lately, has been Nathan McKinnon's extension. We heard way back at the trade deadline how this was Joe Sackick's goal for this summer. Well, the summer is winding down. Like I said, 45 more days till opening night. So, Sounds like people are rumoring that Nathan McKinnon is about to sign the biggest contract in NHL history. Do you are are you of that same belief, or where do you think the number is going to fall more? Yeah, less? Elliot Friedman. The exact phrase he used was, "He's going to sign a really big number, and it could be the biggest number, you know, passing uh, Connor McDavid's twelve and a half per season." So, and you know, people are going to do this. So let's nip it in the bud now. In 2020, Nathan McKinnon had an article in Forbes where he said, I'm going to take a pay cut to keep this team together, to keep the band together. Um, Number one, Nathan McKinnon doesn't need to take a pay cut. Number two, when you see guys like Johnny Goudreau making 9.75 and Dougie Hamilton making 9 million, JT Miller is probably going to get 10. Jack Jack Jekyll, Jack Eichel's making 10. Uh, No, Nathan McKinnon should not take a pay cut because what's a pay cut? 11? And you're sitting there going, wait, Nathan McKinnon, we got him for the same price that the Toronto Maple Leafs got 11? or got John Tavares, and you're Joe Sackick, you're like, no, that's not going to happen. I'm stumbling my words. Also rusty. But let's nip it in the bud now with the you said, you said, you said. Because Nathan McKinnon said something this year during the playoff run that shows how much life has changed since 2019. What's happened since 2019 that's big in the world? A pandemic. Thank you. (laughs) And what did that do to the NHL financially? It kind of really fucked things up. Mm -hmm. And Nathan McKinnon... In his media day or right around the Western Conference Final, the escrow comment said something along the lines of, uh, "This stuff only matters to you guys, but if it helps lower escrow, I'm all for it." Well, that's what's on Nathan McKinnon's mind now. In 2019, if the NHL continued on the trajectory it was, and players weren't paying out of pocket what they had to pay these last 24 months, yeah, maybe Nathan McKinnon takes a little bit of a pay cut. Maybe the Avalanche get him at the 11 and a half that Eric Carlson's playing for in San Jose. But now that Nathan McKinnon's won a Stanley Cup, now that Nathan McKinnon has done what he's done, has proven to the NHL who he is, and has seen the NHL continue to uh, be a Mickey Mouse league compared to these other big leagues in terms of what their star players make and the escrow and all that crap, 
the lack of a luxury tax, the hard salary cap, all that hocus-pocus bullshit that makes the NHL far lesser valued than the other big big leagues in the in the U.S., Nathan McKinnon is not going to take a pay cut anymore, and nobody should give him any flack for it. He deserves every dollar he's going to get. If you ask me, I think he personally is going to purposely go out of his way to be the highest paid player, as he should be, because when one player beats it, then the next player will, and it goes on from there. So I think Nathan McKinnon's going to get 12.6, 12.7, to have his jersey number in there, which is some weird thing NHL <laughs> players do. He's going to do something to break that McDavid barrier so that the next guy can break the McKinnon barrier so that McDavid can come back and break that next guy's barrier, who's probably Austin Matthews, and it can continue. Then Kel McCarr breaks the McDavid barrier, and then suddenly NHL players are making a lot of money. They're not all sitting there for the last 15 years looking at Sidney Crosby going, fucking thanks for your stupid love of the number 8.7 for ruining it for the rest of us. They're not gonna, McKinnon's not going to want to keep McDavid at the top because that'll ruin it for the less. Because if McKinnon can't beat him, who will? So he's going to go up and go uh, go ahead of Connor McDavid. I think he'll get about 12-6, 12-7. It's like flipping houses. You want to push the neighborhood. If you, Bingo. If you see one yep. house at X value, you want to do X plus 10. Nobody's rooting for Nathan McKinnon. Thank you. Nobody's rooting for Nathan McKinnon to make more money than Connor McDavid, more than literally every other player in the NHL. They're like, please go out there and do it. Maybe the guy making two or three millions, like, eh, maybe take 10 so there's enough room for me to make two or three. But the other big stars are like, break the bank so that I can do it, so that he can do it, so that he can do it. Of course. I mean, how insane is it that we can sit here and every year say, oh, Nathan McKinnon's arguably one of the top three players in the NHL, but he's, what, the fourth highest paid on his team? This on his team. Season? On his own team. On his team. Um, and who is the other guys that we arguably say that with? Is is Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid of the new wave, you know, mm -hmm. not the Ovechkin's, right, right, the, right. of the new wave. McDavid made it to the third round for the first time. Austin Matthews hasn't made it out of the first round. Nathan McKinnon assisted on the game-winning goal to Arturi Lekin in the Stanley Cup final to, in Game 6 to win the Stanley Cup. Need I say more? This is what I kind of worry about, and I think that's more something like you've brought up a hundred times, something to worry about in the near future, that once the salary cap starts to go up and, and money starts to come back into the NHL, it might not be such a big deal. But if you look at Kale McCarr, Gabe Landeskog, Nathan McKinnon, and Mikko Rantanen, that's almost $40 million you have tied up in four players. I mean, right now, that's that's half of your salary cap. Yeah, but it won't be for much longer. Um, it might be for a year. Look, when, when, the, when the Toronto Maple Leafs signed Matthews, Marner, and Tavares to the deals they did and, and William Nylander, that was $40 million of an $81.5 million salary cap. And they said, this is going to suck for a year or two. But then the NHL is going to sign a new TV deal with somebody. Salary cap's going to go up. Seattle's going to join the NHL. Salary cap's going to go up. The Toronto Maple Leafs, had COVID not happened, in their brain, the salary cap right now is $95 million, not 81.5 or 82.5. Well, what could have the Maple Leafs have done with that extra 12.5? Oh, I don't know. Jack Campbell at $5 million. Connor Brown at $3 million. Zach Hyman at $5 million. Boom. Those are three guys. How much better would the Toronto Maple Leafs be with two top six forwards like that? and a starting goalie like that rather than, you know, Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov. So that's what the Avalanche are going to do because, I mean, I don't like to take bets, especially on things like this, but I don't know if another pandemic is going to happen. So if the Avalanche are going to give $40 million to those guys, they're going to be like, oh, you know what, it might suck for a year or two. We might lose, I don't know, JT Comfer and uh, Sam Gerrard, but then we'll be good the year after that. So that's kind of the way that I see it. Um, the other thing that I will want to say is, can we stop with this like narrative of like no player, which is true, by the way, no player in the salary cap era making double digit million dollars has won a Stanley Cup. 
10 plus million. The Jack Eichels, the Austin Matthews, the while making that money, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves make 10 and a half, but they won their last cup making 6.3 million. Can we stop with that narrative? Because the Tampa Bay Lightning have $9.5 million Vasilevsky, $9.5 million Kucherov, and $9.5 million Braden Point. And they want a Stanley Cup with three guys making 9.5. It's the same thing. If Kucherov was making 10 and Vasilevsky 9, that adds up to the same. Well, and like you said, values go up over time. We're now at a point where that's no longer going to be a thing. There's going to be a... a, Because remember when Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane first signed their new deals at 12 mil and everybody was like, oh my God. The 10 and a half, yeah. Yeah, that's what it was, 10 and a half. Now there's a a pretty decent handful of players that are making double digits a year. So it's just going to be the the way of the world. When Ovechkin and Crosby signed for coming out of their entry-level deals, Ovechkin signed that 12-year deal at 9.5 and Crosby five years at 8.7, Malkin five years at 8.7. The fact that their salary cap number started with an 8 was mind-boggling. It was like, holy shit, that's a big number. The only other player in the NHL at that time that had a salary cap number starting with an 8 was Eric Stahl. He was making like 8.1. That was after you know winning the cup and having 100 points with the Hurricanes in 06. So things change. Things go up. The only shitty part is three years ago and next season, the salary caps, the difference is a million dollars. So that sucks, and it will suck for a year. Uh, by the time Nathan McKinnon's contract kicks in, it'll be 83.5 instead of 82.5. But after that, it will go up, and it will go up considerably high. So, again, the Avalanche are going to have a year or two where they're going to lose some depth guys, but then they're going to gain a bunch of salary cap, and a lot of free agents are going to want to sign here again. Indeed, indeed. So moving on, uh, latest news since our last recording. I know it's been a while, so this is kind of stale news. But Avalanche sign Anton Bleed. I wonder what the best pronunciation. I want to say Blid, but B L I D H. Blid. Boston Bruins. I'm gonna really put that H. Blid. Huh. And then, and then uh, <laughs> Shane Bowers resigns, which I think it, that's that's definitely a positive stroke. That's a guy we've been waiting to see may, maybe make an impact in the NHL one day. Perhaps this is his year. Yeah, I mean, look, right now the Avalanche's depth chart, and and this is gonna kind of be you know where that potential free agent signing of a depth guy comes into place is. Let's let's walk through this really quickly. You have Landeskog, McKinnon, Lekkinen. Let's just use the lines that I was talking about earlier. Landeskog, McKinnon, Lekkinen. You have Nichushkin, Newhook, Rantanen. You have blank space with JT Comfer at center and Ben Myers taking over the Burkowski spot. And then you have O'Connor, Helman, Cagliano. Anton Blid will say 13th forward. We'll say he's the Abe Kubel replacement because that's what people are comparing him to. Well, Maltsev's still floating around, too, Maltsev's so it's still be a competition. Flo- Maltsev's floating around. Uh, Shane Bowers is floating around. Martin Kaut is floating around. Sampo Ranta's floating around. So then you look at that second line where you have JT Confer playing with Ben Myers, who's looking for a breakout, looking to be a star now in the NHL, and you know his first obvious opportunity other than a few games. And then what used to be the left-wing spot where Newhook was playing, because if Kadri re-signed, it would have just been Newhook, Comfort, and Ben Myers, and the only difference is Burakovsky out, Myers in. Well, now with Newhook making the jump to the second line, assuming Kadri doesn't get replaced out of the team, well, now you got to replace Newhook at that left-wing spot. So that's where Shane Bowers comes into play. you got guys, you know, maybe O'Connor plays that spot and Shane Bowers. I mean, Obey Kubel played that role last season. For a while, yeah. And played in the playoffs, strong, too. So yeah. why not bring up another guy who, you know, is borderline? Because yeah. remember... Philly waived Obey Kubel, so he was borderline AHL, NHL. Why not just throw in another borderline AHL and NHLer? See how he does. Yeah, so like those are the guys that stick out to me: Sample Ranta and Martin Kau and and Mikhail Maltsev and uh, Shane Bowers. Those are the guys that are going to get opportunities at training camp to be like, all right, do you guys 
have what it takes to be a full-time NHLer. We finally have a roster spot for you. Can you take advantage of it? The other thing, by the way, to keep in mind is exactly what you just said about Abe Kubel. The Avalanche are good at picking up waivers. Players off the waiver wire, I should say. So who's to say that that's not where they go out and get a guy? Mm-hmm. You know, Montreal once got Paul Byron off of waivers, and he ended up being a stud for them. Like, those are those are where you get the Abe Kubels. They did it once with Patrick Nemeth. They did it another time with Mark Barbario. They've gotten a lot of good players off waivers, and who's to say they don't do it again? Especially that day before uh, the regular season when people are kind of cleaning out their roster. There's like one or two days of big waiver wire uh, players that are available. Um and that could be the day that the Avalanche go out and bring somebody in. So a lot of opportunity, but Shane Bowers is kind of mixed into that. Uh, to kind of go back onto our initial conversation of all the different um, all the different options that the Avalanche can have to replace now that Kadri's gone. Well, starting from the bottom of the NHL, the Coyotes, the Sabres, the Ducks, the Red Wings, the Senators, the Blackhawks, the Jets, and the Wild. What do all those teams have in common? The Central Division. No. Oh. Every team that I just listed are the only teams in the NHL with more cap space than the Avalanche. So the Avalanche literally right now— I was only listening to the last two. Yeah, all good. All good. (laughs) Detroit, Ottawa, Chicago, Winnipeg, Minnesota, Dallas, Anaheim, Buffalo, and Arizona. I'm going to not include Dallas because Ottinger and uh, Robertson are going to eat up a ton of their money. So all of those teams— those are the only teams with more money than the Avalanche's 3.9, and that's on cap friendly, and that includes guys like Sedlak, and that includes, which, by the way, is another one. Lucas Sedlak is going to be a depth guy for the Avalanche. That includes guys like Andreas Englund, who's a defenseman, who's not going to be counting against their cap. So really, the Avalanche have 4.5 to $5 million in cap space. Again, still not enough to re-sign Kadri had they wanted to, but how many good teams have that much cap space right now? Not a lot. The Avalanche literally can take Anton Blid, put him on the third line, take Lucas Sedlak, make him the 13th forward, take Sampo Ranta, make him the 14th forward. Yeah, their offense took a little bit of a hit, but it's still pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Uh, their defense is stacked. Their goaltending, obviously, we've talked about Georgiev immensely, and Pavel Frensuz is your backup, one of the best in the NHL in terms of that role. And they got a really good team with $4 million of cap space. You know what $4 million of cap space can get you at the deadline when all the teams are struggling to try to clear cap, to bring in a guy here and a guy there, and the Avalanche, we saw them have to do it with Josh Manson. You know we haven't brought up a PTO. That's that, another one. That's an option. Jack Johnson came in on a PTO and was successful. Right. Alternatively, Artem Anisimov also came. <laughs> what a failure. You, you know Anisimov sitting somewhere in Russia right now in a war-torn country, well, in a country that's in the middle of a war, thinking, man, if I just played better for seven days, I could have been a Stanley Cup champion. So... Um, a lot has changed in the last 12 months. But, yeah, PTO is another option as well. And, yeah, the Avalanche are going to go into this year. Like, the Seattle Kraken have $1.5 million of cap space. Why is that a thing? The Devils, $73,000 in cap space. And then get this. I know there's going to be a lot of long-term injury reserve that's going to change things. But Vegas, Tampa, Washington, Montreal, Edmonton, Florida, Vancouver, Carolina, Philadelphia, Boston, San Jose, Toronto, Pittsburgh. Breathe. Every single one of those teams above the salary cap right now. Obviously, LTIR is going to play into that. But when you're in LTIR, you're not accruing daily cap space like the Avalanche will be. The Avalanche are setting themselves up for, like you said, let's spend the entire regular season seeing if Newhook can do this. Seeing if Anton Blid is actually going to be a, a, a piece that we use in the playoffs like Abe Kubel. Seeing if Sedlak's going to be a piece that we use in the NHL after going to Europe. Seeing if these guys, if Sampo Ranta is ready to make the jump, Shane Bauer is ready to make his debut. And then all else fails. We go to the deadline. We got a ton of money. Who wants to play here? Because I know a lot of you do. Exactly, exactly. 
Exactly. So I think <laughs> what I've taken away from that mostly is what I'm now excited to watch at training camp. And it's those, I think it was five guys you named, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Bowers, the Couts, those guys. Those who I'm keeping an eye on, of course, going to be watching goaltending, but... Um, yeah, now I know what I'm. I'm keeping a close eye on at, at training camp. So and now, and that's now I'm getting thing. excited. You're getting yeah. me excited. Era. I'm so pumped. Training camp's in less than a month. We're expecting it to start either the 20th or 21st. But the big thing is, man, like Josh Manson, Darren Helm, Andrew Cogliano. These are very, very good pieces that are veteran leaders. Like we talked about the Manson Adam Foot comparison. You got Helm and Cogliano, who were who were good pieces, who were great in their roles, but leaders. And then you're gonna have these young guys kind of filling in the blanks. That's what you want as a franchise. You don't want to have five open spots and seven young guys to fill them. You want to have two open spots centered around these veterans that are useful veterans, not just veteran by name and sucks on the ice. You want them to actually play a good role, and that's what Helm and Cagliano and Manson are going to do. And then you're going to stick these young guys around them. You're going to put them into a healthy competition. And if all else fails, you guys all suck. You guys don't do don't have what it takes. We will go out and sign a veteran on a PTO or a low-level or a low-money deal. Indeed. Indeed. So I hope everybody else is getting excited. Those who listened anyway. I think other people We're, take off seasons off like we did. I don't know. We we had quite a few listens on their last few episodes. It was still up there with almost our playoff numbers. Not quite there, but people are listening and people are going to be excited that we have another one coming out. August 1st was our last podcast. Today's the 28th, so 27 days. Well, we appreciate the listeners for giving us the break. Not saying, hey, where's my damn podcast? Let us... Let us take a second to breathe. With that, I wanted to end this show. We used to do the three stars of the week. We stopped doing it because um, it was just becoming Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon <laughs> every, every single, single week. week. And sometimes Kadri, yep. <laughs> Um But here I want to give all the stars. Let's give them 10 stars to uh, a friend and mentor of both of ours, Mike Chambers. Um, obviously, temporarily hanging him up, it sounded like. Yeah. We'll see. Um, you what, know he's, that fucker's going to we'll be We'll see back. what his future holds. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, it took a lot out of him and a, and a lot of introspect for him to make that decision. So we want to do nothing but support him and thank, thank him for the time he's given us because in all of my eight seasons, Mike Chambers has been there for almost every single day that I've been yep. there. And, you know, he may have not intentionally taught me things, but just by watching him, he taught me a lot of what to do sometimes what not to do but that's what makes mike chambers who he is and that's what what makes him freaking great yeah and as a lot of our listeners know before my podcast co-host helped me find a house in this shitty market i lived with mike chambers for two and a half years and before living with mike chambers for two and a half years i met him in 2014 when i still lived in detroit and for five years i met up with him many many times in multiple arenas nationwide arena joe lewis arena little Caesars arena uh in toronto and auto montreal met up with him in many places obviously pepsi center at the time uh, he was a big mentor for me, uh, taught me a lot about what I know. And like you said, taught me a lot about what to do, what not to do, was able to learn from him to kind of be like, this is what I should hold on from what it means to be an old school NHL reporter. And here's where maybe let's do things a little bit differently. You know, Twitter is a big part. And I think Mike struggled with trying to have a have have much of a voice on Twitter because it wasn't something that he did for 25 years. And then suddenly everybody expected it of him. Um But yeah, Mike Chambers is a great guy. Genuinely one of the nicest guys I've met in the industry. Say what you want about his work. Say what you want about the fact that, again, he didn't connect with the fans on a level that most newer reporters can. And, you know, some of the older generation was able to adjust and adapt. He wasn't able to do that with Twitter. Um, But, you know, and obviously he's not he's not big on the technology, the podcasting and all that stuff. He doesn't really know much about this stuff. He wasn't able to adapt to it. But just as a general person. First of all, as a hockey guy, he knows his shit. Well, and that's where I was going to say, I hate to be this guy, but I am this guy. He's 
one of the only people in that press box that I've actually shared the ice with. I've seen yeah. him play hockey. He knows. He knows the game. Yeah. When him and I sit there and we talk about hockey, we talk about the Avalanche. It's just like yours and mine's podcast. I'll sit there and be like, "Oh, Eric Johnson makes six million dollars, and McKinnon does this on the ice, and this and this and that." And then he'll be like, "Well, this is the X's and O's of what they're doing." He knows the hockey side of it because I didn't play hockey, and not that that matters, and not that that's. It matters, but not that that's the end-all, be-all, because I do believe that that doesn't matter. One of our favorite reporters, you and me, is Greg Wyshynski. I don't think the guy's picked up a hockey stick in his life. It would look weird if he did, mm -hmm. but he still knows his shit. But that's, that's what makes me and you a great team, Eric. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that, yeah, it's, it's both having a different, uh, different skill set and a different you know, knowledge that – a different way of getting into the sport, angle. ultimately. Bingo. Thank you. That's the word. I'm struggling here still. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so that's where Mike Chambers is, and, you know, he – Say what you want about his work, and I know a lot of people weren't a fan of his, but genuinely one of the nicest guys. Like, I lived with the dude for two and a half years. I didn't pay rent for six months. In 2016, I came and I spent a summer here. I lived in his guest room. He didn't take any money from me. Every single time we would go places. Like, one of my favorite Mike Chamber stories. I flew out here when I was a kid or when I was a student. I used to fly out here for Avalanche's opening nights. 2014, the 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 playoff the year after the playoff run again when they lost to the Wild in Game Seven I came out here for opening night they lost to the Minnesota Wild I think they got shut out the very next year was the year that they had the opening night against the Minnesota Wild again and they had a four to one lead and lost they blew the game in the third period I flew out the very next morning like a dumbass I left my laptop my MacBook in airport security TSA in the bin and I flew home to Detroit called Mike Chambers who lives in Highlands Ranch 45 50 minutes away from the airport and I said. My laptop's at the lost and found at the Denver airport. I live in Detroit. I am in Detroit. Can you please go pick it up? He said, yes, sure. Not a problem. He won't. He drove to the airport. Again, this is a guy that I just met like two weeks ago or well, the previous season. But whatever. I barely knew the guy. Drove to the airport, picked up my laptop, drove back home. Two days later, laptop showed up at my door with a receipt at the top that said like $107 for him to overnight it to me. Tried to Venmo him money. He Venmoed it right back to me. What are you doing? I'm like, you got me my laptop, and I should be throwing in an extra couple dollars for gas money. And he said, no, absolutely not. So, like, just shit like that. Genuinely one of the nicest people I've met in my life. Uh, it's going to be so weird to not see him in the press box. I'm going to take full credit for him making it this long because I think he probably wanted to retire three years ago. I and I just that. lit that fire every single day in him. Uh, after COVID, he was exhausted. He didn't really want to do this. And you guys can tell, you know, it doesn't take someone to live with him to realize that. His love kind of started to wither away, especially as COVID happened, as his son moved to college and he stuck covering games. I would say games. his love for coverage, not his love for His the love game. for coverage, yeah, because the first thing he told me was, well, are you still going to get ESPN Plus because I want to watch hockey? Come <laughs> log me in. And I'm like, all right, buddy, I got you. So, you know, obviously Altitude's blacked out, so you're going to have to stream those games. But uh, so his love for the game isn't lost. But with COVID, with the fact that his kid moved to college and he was never able to visit him, only to stay here. And be frustrated at the way that we had to cover games on Zoom and stuff, which again, not a technology guy, set in his ways, didn't want to have to adjust to all that. You can tell it was coming. I'm going to take credit for him making it an extra couple of years and rightfully so and gladly for him because he got to witness the Avalanche winning a Stanley Cup, which I know he's not part of the team. Even though he raised the Stanley Cup with Gabe Landeskog. Which I think I told him to do. I don't know. I was <laughs> quite a few Bud Lights deep. But yeah. I, was, I was there like, go, Mike, you can do it. Because yeah, he showed up late yeah. to the party. So, yeah. So he 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 find, he got to witness like this cool moment. I saw him lighting a cigar with Mark Kisla and I think George Stoya and all those guys mm -hmm. in, the, in the press box afterward. Um, and then, obviously, the Landeskog thing. Look, people have opinions about the Landeskog thing. I don't know if you and I ever actually talked about it. 
on the podcast. Not on the podcast. Yeah. In person. So people have opinions about that. I saw a lot of reporters online sitting there trying to give him shit for it. The reality is this. Look, should he have posted the pictures? Maybe, maybe not. That's an opinion for else for somebody else. But if Gabriel Landeskog respects you enough to hand you the Stanley Cup and take a photo with you, you take that photo with him. Because in this sport, as a media member, yes, you are objective. You're not a fan of the team, but you build relationships. You cheer for players and stories. And Gabe Landeskog is the same Gabe Landeskog that when he had his first kid, Mike Chambers went to his house and got to write this cool story about Gabe Landeskog being a stay-at-home dad because he was injured at the time. Gabe Landeskog has immense amount of respect for Mike Chambers and went out of his way when he saw Mike Chambers to hand him the Stanley Cup. That's a cool moment because Gabe Landeskog respects this guy. So say what you want about it. That's probably how it played out. Should Mike have posted it publicly? Maybe, maybe not. That's an opinion and that's a conversation for elsewhere. But for him to have that photo just goes to show to you how much Gabe Landeskog thinks of this guy. And MMA is still legal. <laughs> so if you want God, Adam, have Mike. Adam. He'll, oh, he'll give you one. Um, yeah. Guy. So thanks, Mike Chambers, for uh, all the years you've put in with us side by side. We'll miss you, but I'm positive it's not going to be the uh, last time we work side by side with Mike Chambers. I agree. Um, so that being said, thanks everybody for hanging out with us on, uh, you know, trying to break the ice, shake off the dust and the rust and get back into the swing of things. So, uh, thanks for everybody for hanging out with us. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless that pretty little heart of yours. Let's make hockey for everyone. We out you.